0: This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org party today.
1: Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC.
0: Bitcoin is a gold replacement. Bitcoin will, in my opinion, replace gold, but Bitcoin is still an emerging store of value. And in the same way that gold was a fantastic um, investment and almost like a venture capital investment back in the 70s, Bitcoin remains to this day.
1: Welcome to the Mentor TV podcast and stay curious with Patricia Falco Welcome back to another episode here on Mentory TV. I'm Patricia Falco Beccali, your host. And you know from my past podcast that I'm absolutely fascinated when it comes to tech, deep tech, fintech, blockchain technology and crypto assets. Big disclaimer. I'm a big investor in that sector for quite some time, and I am loving it. Of course, it's volatile. Of course, there's a lot of misconception, and this is exactly why I thought I'm going to invite one of the experts, no matter how young he is, in the subject of crypto assets and how to get into it, how to invest into it. Hani Rushwan is joining us from, well, he's the founder, chairman, and CEO of 21Shares and Amun. Thanks very much for being with us here on the show. Thank you
0: so much for having me. This will be fun. (laughs) Well,
1: it it will be fun. I can tell you, anybody that is in crypto right now is having a, a wild time in a positive sense volatile, a new asset class. Everybody's kind of like dipping their toes or wailing into it, your regulators coming into it. I mean, there's so much happening in the space. But the reason why I wanted you particularly on the show, Hani, is, is you are one of the peer pioneers really creating a structured pro, uh, product for the retail investors, for example, to get in without too much risk. Tell us a little bit about how you see right now the crypto markets.
0: So I think the best parallel to the crypto market overall is the internet. And if you think about um, the the terminology even in crypto, of what we're building today is closer to Web3, which is from Web 2.0, which is from the original web. Uh, And so I think that if we look at the history of the internet, an interesting question is sort of where are we in, if, if crypto is the new internet, where are we there? Is it the 80s? Um, Is it the 70s when they're just slowly figuring out some of the things that would later be created? Is it the 2000s? Where where are we? And I happen to think that we're in the early 1990s. And so for anyone who has lived through the dot-com boom, we're a little bit before that, in my humble opinion. So I think it's quite early, but we're starting to get a lot of the interesting pieces in place. And just like it was obvious from the 90s, on some trends that would be said that are still with us today. And we still have some internet giants today um, that were formed in the 1990s, whether that be Google or Amazon or Microsoft or whoever, multi decade horizon type endeavors, uh, we're seeing the same things today. And so it's starting to become more and more accepted. Uh, the concept of non-sovereign money, digital money, uh, stable stablecoins uh, that, that run 24 hours a day, seven days a week. NFTs are here to stay. Uh, and it's very important to, as you see bigger companies, bigger players, whether that be governments or corporations like Facebook and Microsoft talking about things like stablecoins regulations or the metaverse, to realize just how early it is. Uh, I think this is the gift that keeps on giving for another 10, 20, 25 years. And that's how we're planning for it internally at the company as well.
1: And there's a lot of traction. You touched on it. Adaptation is more and more and broader and broader. Institutions are getting in. Big investors are getting in. And they're vocal about it as well. However, you know, there is... You know, this kind of craze. Is it really a, a craze that is going on? Is it a fed? You just said it is here to stay. But when I talk to a lot of people and I tell them why I'm interested in crypto, why I'm invested in crypto, disclaimer again, I'm invested in your funds as well. Toda Hashem, really good, okay. <laughs> really good choice for <laughs> some time too. So that's good for Victoria's university fund. I can tell you that much for sure. <laughs> is um that People don't understand that there is Bitcoin and then there is the rest of them. And everybody tends to just remember Bitcoin's hype, Bitcoin's crash and its volatility ever since. And that Bitcoin is labeled as one of those coins that, you know, you have on the darknet, that there's a lot of, um, you know, corruption around it. Can you tell us a little bit the difference between what actually Bitcoin is and you also tend to... Subdivide the asset class in something that is more commodity, more something that is a business, or something that represents actual assets
0: so i I think um, it is best to think of crypto uh, not in a monolithic uh, kind of way. Um, there are very, very different kinds of crypto assets and in the same way that it doesn't make sense to you know invest in an internet company or in the internet, you you choose a subsector and and, and it's quite different. And there's hardware and there's software and there are applications and enterprise and consumer. It's the same way in in crypto. I think broadly, at the very beginning, there were three major buckets. Uh, One is this concept of non-sovereign money, non-sovereign stores of value, uh, gold being the very obvious comparison here, and Bitcoin being the biggest Uh, such example within the crypto universe. Um, If you look at the history of gold in the 1970s, when when America took the US dollar off of the gold standard in, I think, Richard Nixon, 1971, um, there was a period of 10 to 15 years with incredible volatility. Gold, which today we regard as a very stable asset, was actually rising and falling 100, 120 percent, 90 percent per year. Uh, for a good 10, 15 years. And what we look back at um, that period and, and call this movement is that gold was not yet a store of value, but rather was an emerging store of value. And so I think to be very uh, pedantic about Bitcoin specifically, Bitcoin is a gold replacement. Bitcoin will, in my opinion, replace gold, but Bitcoin is still an emerging store of value. And in the same way that gold was a fantastic um, investment and almost like a venture capital investment back in the 70s, Bitcoin remains to this day um, in that. That's the first bucket, non-sovereign. Um, if think about them as uh, non-sovereign stores of value, crypto commodities, whatever you have. The second bucket is uh, the application infrastructural layer. And so the blockchain at, at a minimum is this incredible technological innovation. It is the solution to a very long-standing computer science problem, uh, basically built around how do you have trust in a trustless system? How can you have trust without intermediaries and without trusting anyone else in the system? And clearly money is a wonderful application on top of that, but so is anything in today's world that requires an intermediary. And there are a lot of very, very good... um, use cases for this at the highest levels with, you know, think about things like uh, insurance or or the like, down to um, uh, a lot of the government work that we have, uh, property like records, land records, all of these kinds of things that, again, you need a trusted middleman in order to verify and feel comfortable with them. Now it's very difficult to build your own blockchain in the same way that it's difficult to build your own internet from scratch, because, you know, step one is build it. And that's great. Um, it's not that difficult. We know how to do it now. It's been done hundreds of times, but step two is get hundreds of millions uh, of, uh, of activities uh, in this, um, have all the applications, have all the developers, have all the attention. And so rather than do that um, you can, much more likely just build on top of one of the pre-existing platforms. Think about it like something uh, close to the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store, where you can build on top of it. And so if if we are building a land registry uh, application, we can build it on top of a platform like uh, Ethereum, like Solana, uh, something that exercises and allows you to have smart contracts and is built on a a blockchain with a lot of activities. And so you can just get up and running and build these applications. And when we talk about we're building a new internet, that's what it looks like. And so think about um, if you are able to invest in the infrastructure that powers the internet itself, in the protocols that power uh, SMS text messaging or uh, uh, web pages loading or servers or whatever, uh, that's the kind of investment that, that we would be talking about with a smart contract platform like Ethereum or Solana, which, again, is fundamentally different from the non-sovereign stores of value that is Bitcoin. But in, again, in my humble opinion, I think the smart contract platforms have a, a much higher potential because even if Bitcoin becomes a replacement of gold, a reserve currency or the reserve currency, Uh, building the new internet is obviously a bigger infrastructural move. And then the third bucket is um, actual cryptocurrencies, uh, payment methods. Payments as they exist today um, don't make any sense. Uh, We would not have built the system this way if we were designing it from scratch from the beginning today. And what you ultimately end up getting is... um, very different systems that don't speak to each other, um, systems that are usually closed more hours of the week than they are open. If you really think about something that operates eight to five, it's closed more hours of the week than it is open, including the stock exchanges, uh, but obviously all the payment rails. Uh, I'm from the Middle East. Our work week is uh, Sunday through Thursday, which means that we each lose a day working with each other. We lose 12 hours when we work with China. We will lose, you know, however many hours when we work with Australia and so on. Payments should be 24 hours a day, seven days a week, no holidays, with instantaneous settlement and clearing. And they should be as simple to send back and forth and as cheap to send back and forth as a text message or WhatsApp. Uh, And that would be the third bucket. And then I would say surrounding all of this in the same way that that investing in technology or the internet requires a lot of things, um, you can invest in the hardware that powers this stuff. In the same way that you can invest in server farms, you can invest in crypto mining operations. And there are a bunch of public companies that Uh, can give you exposure to those kinds of things in addition to maybe perhaps spinning off your own operations. Uh, You can invest in specific aspects of these applications like the metaverse or NFTs. And obviously that's very, very hot right now, but that's been with us for a while and it's only going to continue to grow. And so those are how I would categorize and and, and properly think about crypto from from an overall macro structure.
1: Yeah, no, I think uh, these three buckets are really, really important to know, kind of like place um, into your head where we're actually moving. Plus, of course, the fourth one that you mentioned is the entire supply chain of that industry at the end of the day that you can uh, invest in as well. A lot of people argue, okay, if you say Bitcoin is gold, how can it be as the only value that Bitcoin has is it is limited supply. Whereas gold, you actually have something, you know, you can make things out of it, you have something tangible. Um, you know, how, how do you respond to people like that?
0: Gold does have intrinsic value. Last I checked, gold was somewhere, I don't know what the price of gold is, around yeah, between and
1: 1800 right now. It's not been moving above 1800 for a while.
0: The intrinsic value of gold. Um, for, you know, putting it in wires or industrial use cases or whatever, is maybe $20, $30. It's not 2000 The rest is this myth that gold is a good store of value. And it's a collective myth. And collective myths for the human race are incredibly powerful things. Collective myths are, objectively speaking, all of our religions, all of our nationalities, all of this patriotism and and, and, positive feelings towards collective myths are built on these kinds of structures. Gold has achieved that in part because it's pretty and shiny, um, but in large part because we have agreed on that. Is gold the most rare element on the planet? Of course not. Is it the shiniest element? No. Is it the most expensive piece of jewelry? No. Uh, And it's not even the most expensive commodity. And so, We have decided as a society that gold is going to be a a store of value. And as it exists today with over a trillion dollars in value, I would argue enough enough people, especially from the next generation, have accepted and agreed that Bitcoin has some value. How much value? About a trillion dollars. Why? Because hundreds of millions of people say so. And that's the same thing for gold.
1: Absolutely. You give the value that you want. And this is how market prices are generated. Before we're moving on to, you know, how to structure a portfolio and how, you know, where actually a crypto exposure makes a difference, uh, a real impact to a portfolio of anybody wanting to get into it. Um, you just mentioned, you know, gold is always seen as a, for example, fight against inflation. That has been now also said about Bitcoin, for example, and today the Fed is meeting and they just decided actually to taper, taper off um, the, the, the money printing. So um, inflation is definitely an issue. Uh, what are the main drivers, you would say, of cryptocurrencies in the long run that you see that are making up, in your mind, the perfect storm?
0: So I think the perfect storm is a wonderful term to to think about with with respect to this. Um, perfect storms with technological innovations is is actually where most of the benefits are. And so if you think about a um, a large company like um, Uber or Google Maps or Airbnb, a lot of these would not be possible. Think think about ways in Uber and. and Google Maps. They would not be possible if we did not have, you know, a mobile phone um, with more computing power than all the Apollo lunar missions and and all of that jazz uh, in our pockets at all time. And so, by putting that in, it enabled the growth of this incredible industry. And so, the iPhone has a direct link to actually, at this point, trillions of dollars uh, in value created, which is why crypto is interesting. We think about it as, you know, uh, a couple trillion dollars in value as a market. It's actually bigger than that. If you think about the crypto total ecosystem, that includes companies like ours. Uh, It includes the revenues companies like ours are making. And that's not all in crypto assets. It's actually much larger than that. I think the reason that crypto um, is doing super well is a confluence of probably five to seven different factors that are happening at the same time. Um, and I think what lends incredible credibility to, to this claim of mine is this is not the first time that people tried to build crypto assets and cryptocurrencies. If you look at history, people tried and failed to do this in the 2000s and in the 1990s. Mm-hmm. Uh, look at things like uh, DigiCash and eCash and, and, and various other things that that came up um, in the 90s, uh, predominantly, and just didn't work out. And the reason that it's working out now has a lot to do with, with a few things. Um, uh, we talk about climbing a mountain, it's you know multiple paths, multiple uh, ways to get to the top. Um, inflation is obviously one, people are super concerned. Uh, we live in Europe, uh, we have to deal with negative interest rates. Uh, the United States, where I obviously spend a lot of my time as well, uh, is very content printing money, but there's a limit. And so they, you know, the, the US printed a lot of money. It was very good for GDP. They kept printing money. GDP didn't move. Maybe there's an issue. Maybe we should stop printing as much money. Maybe that's just not sustainable. Um, and a lot of people are concerned about both the real inflation rate as well as the official inflation rates in a number of different countries. Uh, I think geopolitics plays a huge uh, effect uh, on this. Um, I come from a particularly uh, exciting and always constantly doing something part of the world. I'm from the Middle East. Um, And a lot of geopolitics uh, risks are associated, certainly with our region, but in today's world, give me a neighborhood of the globe that doesn't have some sort of geopolitical risk in any language, in any culture. Uh, And a lot of people are concerned about that. A lot of people can think about this as insurance or a hedge, whether against inflation or geopolitical risk. Um, We're in a very interesting moment in history. We're nearing the end of the American century, if it's not over yet. Um, what happens next? Is it a multipolar world? Is it a unipolar world? Is there a new entrant into the scene? What happens to dollarization in general? Um, if after World War II, America was the majority of the global economy, that's no longer the case if you look at numbers. And so um, does the dollar make sense in 30 years, in 20 years, in 50 years? As the reserve currency. Well, if you study history, uh, you know, the Portuguese currency was a reserve currency for um, a many decades, if not centuries. Same with the British pound, same with uh, the German mark, used to be quite popular, right? Um, and you have all of these movements as well, and we don't know what the future will hold, we don't know how this shakes out, but we maybe will have something there with respect to something that's non-sovereign, where it, it's not Um, controlled by just one power, Um, whatever the next power or the power sharing ends up being, which I have no idea, but um, I think that something non-sovereign certainly has something there. Uh, I touched on this earlier, but certainly there's an intergenerational shift um, where um, I don't know too many people below the age of 35 who buy a lot of gold. I believe I know one person uh, and we make fun of him for it. Uh, predominantly, I think people under 35 are increasingly purchasing more crypto assets than gold, increasingly are comfortable with them. Um, and there is an interesting thing there. You can take a look at things like um, some of the very big gold markets like China or India um, and, and see the, the demand for gold going down in general. A couple of years ago, you know, India had a 10 year low of gold purchases. Uh, And and part of that is this intergenerational shift where you have a sizable part of the population, especially in countries with younger demographics that are just not as interested in in that. Um, Bitcoin is inherently better than gold from a features perspective on just about every metric. Uh, except shininess. It's not as shiny, but it's.
1: No, but you can transport it in a matter of second without you any. You can cost divide
0: money. it, you oh, can transport like it. You can do a whole bunch of, of other things. Uh, and then lastly, uh, this is a technological innovation. This is a huge deal that will enable a lot of things to happen uh, more efficiently, uh, cheaply. And just like the Internet was a big deal, just like mobile phones were a big deal. Uh, protocol level advancements and technology tend to create a lot of value, not just for themselves, uh, but for an entire ecosystem that develops around.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, honey, I think it's so fundamental what you're saying, because I always wondered how people embrace technology, embrace digitalization. You know, you were holding up your smartphone and everything that goes with it, but at the same time would deny that the entire digitalization actually needs an underlying technology and that also an underlying economy. So for me to have a digital world and digital assets underneath, you know, as un- immutable as possible is a no-brainer. This is why I was told straight away when I heard about blockchain, blockchain technology, immutability. You know, the the entire the entire idea. I always see it like, and I try to explain it also to my daughter's friends, like an autobahn. Okay, that's a, that's basically uh, that's basically the blockchain, and you have like from one toll gate to the next toll gate. That's the blocks, and you're kind of like in these blocks, something there's some data, something stored, there's some money going in or whatever, you know. But you know. That car drove past. It is that car it drove on, and it left something there in terms of data. And then on top of that, you have your currencies driving around, which is the cars. I mean, there, you know, when your mother perhaps you try to really kind of make it as simple as possible, but then all of a sudden people go like, "Hmm, all right, maybe it's not that complicated." And of course, you just touched on it as well, honey. You know, the latest madness also about the meta. You know, the the, the entire the um, uh, virtual reality move. You know, the gaming stocks, etc. Drive driving up gains, incredible that people go like, hey, I'm just getting used to Bitcoin and Ethereum and, you know, Polkadot, Solana and whatever, Ripple, what have you. And now these things are coming out. And once I'm quite happy with my gains of 150 percent, they're doing 2000 you know? and it gets confusing. However, um, it is not. And this is what I'm trying to say is with any kind of new technology. It is not just a new technology, but we're moving into to a different kind of world. And the crypto technology is all assets, is a crypto world. And you have to kind of immerse yourself and just let it happen and just open your mind and think, okay, things can work differently and perhaps better. So. Mm-hmm. so when it comes to how to dip your toe in, okay, I dip my toe in and I have to say, honey, at the beginning, I was like, okay, I was trying to get a wallet and then the keys are like, oh you know, (laughs) with all respect to all of the blondes out there, I'm blonde. It really was difficult. So I said, there must be something out there. And this is how I also found 21 shares that is easier for me to get into. Now, from a classical asset allocation point of view, where does a crypto exposure has an impact and has an impact That I can actually feel compared to, let's say, other assets. Let's say I've stocks, I've got bonds, I've got a bit of cash, I've got gold or silver, a couple of commodities. Apart from that, um, you know, compared to crypto or Bitcoin, where you know what is the minimum I should really allocate in order to see what can it do to my assets and my and my wealth, literally.
0: So I mean, we don't give investment advice, so I think it depends a lot on your own risk appetite. Um, (laughs) I really recommend everyone put a hundred dollars in. I think when you put a hundred dollars, just a lot of people are out there with absolutely zero dollars in crypto assets, right? Um, you should put something in and you should put something in and start learning more and more about it. Um, And the more you learn, the more avenues that will be opened up for you. Um, if you go to 21 chairscom we have on the very uh, front page, we just compare year to day Bitcoin versus Ethereum compared with the S&P 500, which is the uh, summary of the American market. And you can just look at the data as well. Um, I have it now- in front
1: of me. Can I just read it out? Sure. <laughs> I, I just read your last research coming out, which I think is an excellent research as well. Um, so since January 21, Bitcoin is up 111. Percent Ethereum, 468, according to your data, and the S&P 500, a stunning 24%. So I guess that speaks for itself.
0: And the S&P 500's rise is, is magnificent, right? We're in an absolute bull market, but it does pay to invest in technology. It does pay to invest in these compounding rates of return that come from disruptive innovations. And that's ultimately what you're investing in with when it comes to crypto assets. And so whether that's 1% of your portfolio, 5%, 10%, It depends largely on on what kind of investor you are and what you're looking for. I just heavily recommend everybody uh, to invest, whether it be $10, $100, $1,000, whatever it is, put it in. Read our research. It's free and it's free forever. Learn more about it. Explore. Uh, This is here. It's here to stay. It's part of the future. Hopefully people will watch this in 20 years and uh, not have missed out on, on this incredible once in a generation opportunity. Um, once in a generation is actually a pretty bad term because reserve currencies are changed once every couple hundred years. And so I, I think this is an even rarer incident uh, than that. Just get off of zero dollars invested in it, invest whatever makes you feel comfortable, learn more. And then as you become more comfortable, explore more assets uh, yeah. and, and go in that way. We, we'd recommend people start with just Bitcoin or Ethereum, learn more about them and then get really, really yeah. energized about the space.
1: Yeah, I think what is interesting in the whole list of, um, of the products you actually offer on various stock exchanges, be it in Switzerland, and Germany, uh, I think soon in Vienna as well, is that you, you can, through 21 shares, go into individual asset classes, crypto asset classes like Bitcoin, Ethereum, etc. But you can also go into baskets. And mm-hmm. I think you launched the baskets of the five top ones in terms of... Uh, Expected revenue with the next next five years. It's it's hodl o h o d l I think, and had a tremendous run just since June of this year. It's up more than eighty five percent. I've seen <laughs> luckily because <laughs> yeah, portfolio. Yeah. So it's it's doing really well. So what I'm trying to to say is is that the choice is also important. You can go mono. Mono, you can go into one of these assets because you've read about it, because you're convinced about their underlying technology, be it Ethereum or, you know, now that Ethereum 0.2 is coming out, hopefully, <laughs> was supposed to come out already, um, or its competitors, it doesn't really matter, but really trying it out and, and just being open to to learn about it. Now, in terms of the pushbacks, and what would you say that one thing is just try it out, but what are the three key aspects, anybody looking into a new asset class, also as an institutional, needs to consider the main risks, you would say, because we said confluence is looking positive. This is what is pushing it. But what is the holdback, the big, you know, black swan risk that even you as, a, as an entrepreneur need to look out for to keep your company going and your assets performing?
0: Look, I think the asset class itself overall does not have risks. I think that we are, this is an inevitable technological innovation that will absolutely be part of our future. Uh, It's sort of like looking at the internet again in the 1990s and saying, what risks does the internet have? Nothing. Um, There are, however, boom and bust cycles. There are cycles as part of any uh, movement. Uh, and certainly there were people that were smarter in how they played the 90s boom and bust, the 08, 07, what we're doing now. I think there are rules when it comes to investing. There are rules when it comes to hedging, the the amount of risk you are comfortable taking that sometimes people forget about with um, bull markets, but are tried and true methods. And so I would n- I would say there's nothing inherent about crypto that is fundamentally different here that leads to a different outcome. But prudent investment advice still applies. This is a very volatile asset. You should only invest as much as you're comfortable losing. And in my humble opinion, I think you should be very long term focused um, as well. And if you're long term focused, I'm not too worried um, about things, but in general, the same rules apply. Don't have too much leverage, uh, don't be foolish about uh, things, don't have over exuberance uh, within good times because you just don't know what the future will hold uh, in, the, in between now and when it goes here. We just don't know what this looks like and it's not going to be a straight line similar to any other asset out there let alone a disruptive asset.
1: And right? let alone a new asset, absolutely. I would now- have made
0: money on you know, investing in Tesla um, if you bought and held. But if, depending on when you bought and when you sold, of course you could have lost money on even a um, top stock like Tesla. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. You, don't, you don't want to try to trade, especially a new asset class, definitely. So the Warren Buffett approach is definitely better. On the other hand, honey, I would have also mentioned as a potential risk, but also a potential segue to even more mainstream kind of adaptation, regulation, taxation, um, corruption. Uh, What we heard also from China, you know, one day, you know, they feel like, okay, all the gaming stocks, and I'm invested in those two just like shut down. And you go like, oh my God, you know, it is, there is a lot of risk. So whilst it is decentralized, still, there are certain forces, central forces, yeah. Um, that can interfere. Um, that is not, is that a risk for you? Or is that actually an opportunity that it will, the asset class is taken now seriously by governors, by tax uh, authorities? Yeah.
0: Again, I think people perceive as some of these, uh, perceive as risks with some of the things you've mentioned. I think when you, when you look at it empirically, logically, when you really analyze it, um, what are the specific risks with regulations? We live in Europe. It's pretty heavily regulated. Our own company is regulated by, I think, five or six different European countries. And we're looking to be regulated by more. Um, in terms of crypto taxation, I think most governments around the world have figured out how to tax it uh, in some way. And that will continue. It's like any other asset. Um, and it's like any other asset in that if you have um, undisclosed gains to the government, you're going to get in trouble. It's not like all of a sudden crypto becomes very, very easy. Um, and so from a regulatory perspective, surely there are counterexamples to this, You know, perhaps in China or um, some other similarly uh, uh, type governments. Uh, but overall around the world, with, and, and, and certainly with the vast majority of your viewers, this more often than not, this thing is actually pretty regulated wherever you are. And even when sometimes we hear, oh, the UK has heavy regulations and you're not, you look into it and actually the UK is, you know, one of uh, the exchanges largest, typically it's the largest market for exchanges in Europe. Um, Buying Bitcoin in the UK is not illegal. No one has ever said it was. The FCA has never said it is. Uh, And so I think that's an, that's an overblown fear. And there's a lot of the, uh, the truth versus some of the phobias and fears, yeah, yeah. it's sometimes, you know, sometimes you run into people that are really terrified of flying. Yeah. Uh, but you, you look at the numbers and it's, you know, far safer than driving. Uh, but people are comfortable doing that every day. And so I, I just don't think the truth really applies when you look at this logically without an emotional lens, without all of this bias. Um, it's pretty regulated. It's pretty taxed. Uh, criminals that use it are, more often than not, um, using it stupidly. Uh, the top the top instrument for corruption, for drug money, for money laundering is still cash. The $100 bill, every $100 bill out there has some traces of cocaine on it, predominantly because of that. That's untraceable, really. Uh, you'll find a lot of government agencies, whether that be the NSA or the FBI or the CIA or MI6 or whoever, um, are increasingly more comfortable with uh, these kinds of crimes happening on the blockchain because they're traceable. They're traceable for, for eternity, right? And so if you have ever created, if you've ever done a crime and done it in cash, chances are you can probably get away with it if enough time passes. If you've ever done anything criminal with any blockchain, whether that be Bitcoin or Solana or Ethereum, there's a permanent record of it forever for the rest of eternity, right? And so, on 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 that kind of aspect, you know, you don't have a, um, you don't have any of these kinds of uh, fears end up being at all accurate or true. Although I'm with you, I I I talk to people as well. I do know they're they're worried about these kinds of things. I just don't think that's a rational fear.
1: That's the point. I mean, they're worried without being informed properly. That's the point you know, you're 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 going to some chitter chatter, you know, down to the pub, you're you over here, uh, something somebody says it seems to be informed, you just adapt whatever they say as something that is a fact rather than really to drill deeper. And that's really the downfall, especially, you know, with a lot of people and I I
0: I recently I just read um I read an article this morning that that, that enraged me and it was on, I'm not going to call out the publication, but it's a top media company that's talking about, I'm in the industry, I'm in it every day. I've never heard of this thing, but apparently this thing called monkey something um, is a scam and $300,000 was stolen. And that's the headline for, you know, whatever the technology is. A, the amount of scams happening in the world are far more than 300,000. B, on the day that Solana has achieved all-time highs historically, Ethereum is at or near all-time highs. The amount of activities that are happening, Microsoft and Facebook have both started to pivot their companies around the metaverse. NFTs are a real thing for us to focus on all of these things makes absolutely no sense.
1: And there uh, the media is wrong and proactive, you know, a uh, procyclical, sorry, yeah.
0: And they need to sell newspapers, you know, and 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 it's yeah. not as a positive headline of saying, uh, you know, this thing keeps performing better and better, but
1: yeah, no, no, that, no, that truth. I'm totally with you there. And I've been uh, for decades in the news business and uh, it it is a difficult one. And I don't want to <laughs> talk about that any longer. Um, the media and what role they play in any kind of, you know, cycle, be it an up cycle or a down cycle. A couple of questions left because we both have to run. Um, honey. The first one is on the subject of hype or hope, you know, you look at uh, Decentraland now, you look at Sandbox. Before that, you know, uh, we had Dogecoin, we had uh, Shiba know, all of these. What are they? (laughs) To buy? Not to buy? You're the expert, honey, would you buy them? Are we, are we? I
0: I mean, I think that's asking, um, you know, should you buy GameStop or AMC stock? Yeah. I do not understand the meme coins. I think they're fun, you know, people in general, um, sometimes like, you know, having fun uh, doing things like Doge and Shiba and and, and all of that. Um, Obviously there's nothing behind them. Obviously it is a a game of some sort Um, in the same way that in a lot of cases, a lot of the meme stocks are bad companies. Uh, but enough people banded together and said, we do not want this company out of business. And in the beginning, some of it was, you know, nostalgia. And like, I remember this company as being very nice to me. I really like their products. I want to keep them alive. As customers, you're allowed to do that, yeah. right? If enough people band together and 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 think that... Um, Trading monsters is a you know, trading monsters that fight on on cards is a good thing. Well, that's Pokemon. And if enough people agree on that, then it's a global movement. I think it's very clear from the numbers that enough people agree that that Doge and Shiba are at minimum fun to buy and hold and, and sell and such. There's nothing backing them up yet. I think it is possible that that something Uh, that they become more relevant over time. They haven't yet. As they become more relevant, companies like ours will have products for them. But at the current moment, we don't for a reason. Uh, They're fun. I, you know, I play around with them myself. It can be fun, but obviously nothing investable. um, Fundamental. Yeah. Um, And so that's how I would think about it with with memes and and whatnot. You asked, there was something else though.
1: Yeah, 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 exactly. So last question. And you as an entrepreneur, honey, you're 31 years old. That's your third company. You you built a couple of companies already in, um, you know, in Silicon Valley doing very well there. Um, What would you say to a young entrepreneur? What does it take? To really do what you have, you are doing now the third time around, building a company from scratch with all the headwinds that one can imagine, be it uh, you know, in terms of the asset, in terms of the location, in terms of the culture. What would you say are the three key learnings you would pass on to anybody wanting to embark on their own business? Three. Well, you can also say five, ten. Ten.
0: A lot of people talk about product market fit and and, and building a product and and, and that is the right thing and you should speak to users, etc. That's absolutely correct. Uh, You should speak to users. you You should build products that have product market fit. Ultimately, the products that don't will fail. What no one really discusses as much is founder market fit of why are you doing what you're doing? there are some counter examples certainly but more often than not in an area like technology in an area of disruptive innovation in an area where honestly tech startups are really difficult things i wouldn't recommend them um, to anyone that is not very passionate about what they're doing Um, it's a long road it's arduous it's up and down it's a roller coaster you need besides money which money is great and we all love it but besides money why is it that you're doing what you're doing, and why is it more importantly, why are you uniquely positioned to do this specific opportunity? As an example, I love clean tech, uh, and I think that's a very nice, fast-growing uh, sector of technology. I'm not qualified to do anything there, mm. right? And and so, me starting a clean tech company would be a foolish endeavor. Now, I can go and, and learn. And, and you know spend a year or two years, six months, nine months, whatever, and find an opportunity. But at the current moment, I don't have founder market fit with that specific thing. If you look at my previous companies, they've all been in fintech. I did payments companies before, and that's sort of how I came about Bitcoin, which I first discovered around 2012, 2011. Um, and so I think founder market fit is an incredible, incredibly important thing. Um, the second thing that I would say is... Um, People often overestimate uh, and really uh, freak out too much about risk. Mm. Inherently, most things are not as risky as you think they are. I would say take risks, especially earlier in your life. Uh, do not you do not have to follow the prescribed path. Um, chart your own path. Try it, especially especially if you know you're coming out of college or you're in you know. A, a phase of your life where you can experiment with these things, that's the time to take risks. And if the risks don't pan out, it's very easy to fix. It's not a big deal. You know, No one is going to blame you for uh, trying to build the next Google, trying to build the next whatever. In fact, in a lot of cases, for those people that understand and value, and, and ultimately the people that are creating the most value, uh, these are benefits. We interview a lot of people who have been involved in a lot of failures, and that's great. You've mentioned my previous companies. Uh, I wouldn't recognize them as I- immense successes. My first company was an absolute failure. My second company was an okay exit.
1: Oh, um, yes, no, you crazy. sold. You <laughs> sold.
0: We sold the second company. The first, we did not. You know, and 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 so put another way, I have failed once, passed the class barely once, and then now I'm working on this third thing. It it it, it builds up. Uh, and then the third thing that I would say, and I don't think enough people in society talk about this. Um, think about the long-term. Uh, too many people are too worried uh, about the short-term. The short-term doesn't matter. Um, too many people are trying to optimize for the short-term. You're not building this to flip it uh, super quickly. It's not valuable. When you think about building a company, I would like you to imagine being there 10 years from now, 20 years from now, and tell me if you still want to build the company. And if the answer is yes, then you should probably try it. And if the answer is no, then you should try something different that can get that um, effect for you. And I, and I think that not enough people think long term of the best opportunities, the best companies. And indeed, if you look even at like the top technology stocks, when they start returning the real returns, it's not a year or two years in. And it's not, by the way, the bulk of the returns are not 10 years in; They're 15, 20 years out. And so... Um,
1: Unless well, you are Apple and the iPhone. <laughs> no, 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 no. But that's just a product. That's just a product. No, product.
0: but let's talk about Apple and the iPhone. When was Apple incorporated? 1975, I think? Yes. When was the iPhone made? Oh seven, oh eight. 08?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. How
0: long did that take? Yeah. PayPal, 97, Look at the value of PayPal over time. What and, and tell me 75% of PayPal's value is from the last however many years. Same thing with Microsoft, same thing with Amazon, same thing with Google. A lot of these companies, the bulk of what we're seeing now is the decades, is, is the result of decades investments and the companies themselves betting not on like here's a bad example to start a company today meme stocks are hot so i'm going to build a meme company okay maybe that's here to stay maybe it's not maybe it's here to stay for a couple of years who knows a better example would be you know crypto is here to stay mining operations are vital to the system i would like to start building crypto mining um, infrastructure, exposure, whether that be infrastructure or a fund or whatever, that makes more sense to me because we can talk about, well, where will mining be over the next 10, 15, 20 years? And even if you're only doing it for six or seven years, the fact that you're thinking about tailwinds that are that far will cause the opportunity itself to be better. And then your rate of success, your probability of success to be better. And not enough people think it's not enough people uh, appreciate the long term and, uh, you know, certainly our society does not, in most cases, uh, reward long term thinking either. And I, you know, I, I, I think that's a tragedy and, and I uh, try to get people to think about the long term as much as possible.
1: Yeah, not just quarter to quarter, which, of course, the big uh, corporations are also struggling with, especially when they, are of course, listed companies. Honey, you're an absolute star. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your insight. Chapeau for building the company, continue to build the company, continuing to really doing well and for taking the time to spend some time with me here, with us here on Mentorate TV. Thank you so much.
0: Of course. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Thank you. And thank you very much, my dear Mentory TV community. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Hani rushwan He is the chairman, CEO and founder of 21 Shares and Amun. He's based here with me in Zurich in Switzerland. And uh, well, I hope to see you soon for another exciting conversation on a completely different issue. See you soon. Bye.